0: Hello and welcome to Talking Moves, a podcast from Greenwich Dance where dance artists come together to talk about their work and practice, the things that matter and the issues which move them. I'm Melanie Precious and in this episode I'll be talking to two artists about their business of dance, support, collaboration and of course people. Building a team, setting up a company, working collaboratively isn't likely to be the overriding aim for an aspiring dance maker but if you are successful and want to make your own work You're going to have to work with other people to build your vision, to turn it into a reality. You'll be effectively running a business, even if that's not the kind of language we're used to using as we think about our art, and a business is all about the people. So today I'm joined by two artistic directors to talk about the nuts and bolts of building a team. We have Gary Clark, Artistic Director of Gary Clark Company and Tamsin Fitzgerald, Artistic Director of Two-Faced Dance. Welcome both of you.
1: Morning.
2: Morning.
0: So, first question, how do you feel about me calling what you do a business? Does that feel natural to you? Is that how you think of it yourselves? Gary?
2: Um, I think throughout the years, I've grown to understand that it is a business I think it took me a while to get into the swing of that mode of language. And I spent a lot of time working as a dancer with various different companies. So I kind of learned from that side to begin with. And then when I started to make my own work, I think initially I was very much artistically driven. So really just focusing on the artistic products that I was creating. But then the more that you network and be part of bigger meetings and the language changes from artistic language to a business language. You start to understand about strategy, you start to understand about relationships, communication, funding. Suddenly, my approach changed. Although what I hope I manage to do is still retain the artistic side as well as try to understand the business side of it and not allow it to be an imbalance.
0: It's a big job, isn't it? And as an artistic director, mm. you're very much straddling those two worlds. Tamsin, do you echo some of Gary's experiences and thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I think I always thought of it as it was a means to live, to earn money. I suppose in my head it was always quite business orientated you know when I first started out I was doing six seven eight different jobs all the time so it kind of felt quite money orientated because it was a means to eat (laughs) and so I think my artistic side has been actually the opposite to Gary it came later in a way for me and having to speak with an artistic voice I always sort of struggled with that initially and I think yes you have to be strategic writing funding bids that kind of thing kind of gets you into that mode of having to speak in business terms but I think yeah I was I was more business first and then the artistic came later which is probably the wrong way round. but then I've sort of done everything the wrong way around uh- <laughs> uh, in my career so. <laughs> sometimes the best way that
0: leads me quite well into the next thing which is my question why do you do what you do
2: Good question It's funny because I I have this conversation a lot And I I don't know what else I would do, really Mm. I think when I was growing up at school I didn't really connect with much kind of academia You know, I always had my head in the clouds And I was very hyperactive as a child And I couldn't really sit still And so it's always kind of been within me to create And I've always had that kind of temperament I mean, I feel very lucky that I'm able to kind of carve a career out of that and for it to be sustainable but i just think it's something that i'm skilled at and i don't i really don't know what else i would do and it kind of worries me when we talk about the arts going into decline and we see what's happening at the minute because it does i get a real sense of panic because although i think our skills are really transferable into many different areas yeah i think to create is, is very innate for me. So I don't really know why I do it. It feels like a natural pull for me um, and something that feels very, it, it sits well.
1: It makes me happy, I think. I, I'm, I'm genuinely happy when I'm creating. And I think I've always wanted to do something that, that makes me happy, that makes me want to get up in the morning and go to work. I'm very fortunate I get to meet amazing people. I get to to go to some amazing places. I, I think a bit like Gary, I, I don't know what I would do. Lots of people have asked me that recently, probably in light of the pandemic, You know, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? And I don't know. I mean, I, I started the pandemic being on furlough and it's the first time in 21 years that I hadn't worked. And it was the weirdest sensation. I, I didn't like it because I like to be active. I like to be going out and doing stuff. So it was, it's really hard actually. So, yeah, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't doing this. When making art
0: is, as you say, Gary, something that's inside you, it's innate in what you do and it's your business, it's so hard, isn't it, to pull those two apart and mm-hmm. to find yourself when one of them goes. So just going back to that real business mind, what value values do you have as part of your mission in your business plan? What are you telling the world is the purpose of your
2: companies i think for us well we're we're going through a big change at the minute because we're revving up to becoming hopefully fingers crossed an npo so our whole kind of strategies and forward thinking are really shifting and changing and we're having to think much more long term than we ever have done up until now it's always been product driven but i think the more that me and the team are talking the more that we've come to understand that regardless of what project we've created underneath it all is the same kind of um, values (laughs) that we all truly believe in which is that art can educate and art can create change Um, and the power of community and the power of people I'm really interested in telling real stories on stage and for that to be a vehicle for education for audiences especially through politics, which is where I feel like I'm going now, um, to talk about the world and what's happening in the world, Um, especially for marginalised communities. That feels something very strong for me, something that I'm very passionate about because it's something that I've grown up with, coming from a a very, very poor working-class coal mining village. It feels like I want to be able to try and pull that into my art somewhat and to fill a gap and to help enrich people's lives who might not necessarily access the arts from these deprived areas which i know has become a bit of a buzzword now but it's something that i really i'm really kind of passionate about and and i want to kind of drive that forward so and you've
0: been doing that for many years and very successfully as well you have a particular way of being able to tell those stories in an empathetic way that really does pull people Mm. into the world and the story that you're trying to create Tamsin, i I think that two-faced dance has got education at its heart there as well am i right yeah
1: well, it started as a youth dance company. I went into schools and I started working with um, a team of, of young men in Herefordshire as a youth company. And then we went to the Edinburgh Festival. And over a 21-year period, we've uh, become an MPO over that time um, and is now a professional dance company. So, yeah, education is at its heart. I think uh, the company's based in Herefordshire, which is challenging. You know, it's a rural place, border country. I always wanted to ensure that a rural place could have access to as many of the same opportunities as you get in bigger cities. Um, So why shouldn't we have one of the best dance companies in the world in Hereford? So I think challenging, inspiring, working with the local communities always been at the heart of what we've done really. And a bit like Gary, you know, we're having to kind of really look longer term at some of the work we're we're doing and, and what our impact is on that community because when you're touring a lot you're not here you're not in that place mm. you're off um so it's it's really important you kind of remember why you started what you're doing in the first place mm. Mm.
0: So, Gary you were nodding a a lot there I think that was uh, chiming with you
2: wasn't it Well yeah just this whole idea Of when you build a community And when you're in a place And then when you tour You know we move around a lot And we've been talking a lot about How do we keep in touch with these communities How do we keep that legacy going Mm. How do we make sure that we're still in contact With these people That we don't want to be a company That just come on the scene Deliver something and then leave You know so we're looking at systems And strategies of how to maintain that relationship which I think is really important. Yeah. So that so we, we build that and we build the ecology of the arts in the area. So yeah.
0: I'm going to scoot you back in time a little bit and ask you about when you were alone, when it was just you, when it was just Gary, when it was just Tamsin, before you'd got a company. How did that feel? What were you up to? <laughs>
1: Working all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: I can almost picture you, Tamsin, because you were talking about going into school. So car, bag of resources,
1: (laughs) this one Uh, and that one. I kind of look back sometimes and I think I was stupid, really. I mean, I I was doing everything, teaching, choreographing, sometimes working part time at the local art college, um, teaching the, the BTEC dance and then driving two hours up to Shrewsbury to teach a break dance class in the evening, driving back again saturdays sundays i'd get really excited in the early days i'd get like a meeting in london and i'd be like yeah sure i can be there at like 9am and it's a three and a half hour train journey for me but i'd be like i can get up at 5am and drive down to london because this meeting's really important yeah just stupid really like looking back really stupid like worked all the hours there was and i I, I was quite stubborn, so I never really would ask for help. So I try and do everything myself. So funding bids, administration, choreographing, lighting, everything I would try and do myself. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you can't keep doing that. No,
0: there's a time It doesn't.
1: You can't sustain it at all. But I quite like learning. So I'm. If I can't do something, I quite like being able to find a way of doing it. So oh. I go out and I learn how to do it. Yeah basically um, yes.
2: and I'm still like that so mm. yeah and I think I was quite similar as well to Tamsin that I used to do everything myself but I think what you do is you really do learn on the job yeah. and then you be, you become resilient and you become robust and you, you become a worker that you don't just rely on other people from the beginning to do everything for you and that you just mm. like kind of kick back and just become the, the artist that actually your job is hard work and you become resilient and I think it's really common for artists at the beginning to do everything, and I mean, I'm fair to say I had night times in that. Things have really changed though as well in the landscape. I think yeah. twenty years ago things were really different. Like it was also part of your job as well to roll up a dance floor and throw it into mm-hmm. the back of a van. And <laughs> yeah, I think the landscape has really changed now to what it used to be like. Even just financially, you know, I used to create a show on two thousand pounds. And that was wages, just set and costume. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how we did it, but we did. But I do. I think like learning on the job and, and getting your hands dirty and being getting stuck in there is really important. I think, yeah. In a way, I kind of want to just say that to a lot of people that are starting out making work that that approach for me really works it, it feels like there's a lot of value and learning to be had by just doing doing that and waking up at five o'clock and driving three yeah. hours which is which is mad but we do it yeah. and there's a and I guess in a way there's that drive there and that love and that passion that you want to do it and you don't mind doing it and at the time it's it's kind of part of the the world that you're entering you know it's it's mm-hmm. only through time I think that we learn how to delegate and how to refine what we do and have a role within like a bigger system as it were
0: i suppose Mm. it's quite comforting as well knowing that you know those bits of the job so when it gets to the point that you can hand them over you understand what you're handing over Mm. so with that in mind can you remember the moment when you just had to have somebody else where it couldn't be you anymore what was it that initiated that change and who was it that first joined your little team at that point
1: uh, I think my first proper person that I employed was a tour booker and that was Mark Makin and it got to the point where we, well we've done really well, we, ha- we had a great show, people wanted that show, I'd never thought about touring, I, I didn't really understand touring and then suddenly we started getting all these requests for the show all over the world. And um, I was just a bit like, ooh, oh, maybe I could do this. And I was like, actually, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. And so the nearest tour booker to me was Mark Macon. He lived in Cheltenham. So I was like, well, I'll give him a ring. And it was, amazing we had back to back dates that was in in the old days logistically it was a little bit crazy so we you know have a show down in devon and then the next day it was a show up in newcastle and then back down again so that that was the first time i'd kind of really properly employed someone that wasn't just a mate helping me out on something and yeah kind of changed two faced dance company really because that's when we really started to get serious about the work and the company started to feel like a like a company. I was still driving the tour yeah. bus and things like that. <laughs> well, and it's of course. Still... <laughs> um, That interests
0: me. So you had a show by that point. So you employed someone to move your show, but you've created that show with everybody yeah. helping you out or a little piecemeal or freelance and bits in, bits out, project base.
1: Yeah, yeah, we had a show that we took to Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, so we had project grants yeah. from the Arts Council. But it it was just a really insane time, I think. We were in quite a commercial phase of the organisation at that point. Same organisation, but me. It was quite a commercial point of view. And we'd got things like the MTV Awards in Europe and we were doing that kind of work. So it was was a slightly different mode to where we are now. And that world is very fast-paced and everything's very kind of, you need to be here now and do this now. And it's, yeah. But I always wanted to be doing what I loved doing, which was contemporary dance. And so I knew that eventually that was the direction I was going to go back to, really. So, yes, we had a show that we'd created and we've been doing for four years right so on and off in various forms and various versions of that show So you were working so. quite
0: quite a long time on that project base before you could bring yeah. someone on probably still in a project way but on a more employed contract yeah. how about you gary what did it feel like for you when, when did you know that you needed someone else and who were they um
2: it was the opposite way around actually tamsin i kind of got picked yeah. up by someone i did i wasn't really looking for any at the time i graduated from the northern school and i started to make really small work i didn't really like tamsin didn't really know about touring i just knew i wanted to create something for stage but the touring model was so alien to me so i started to make small pieces of work, and the artistic director of Yorkshire Dance, Bush Hartson at the time, saw my work and liked what I was doing, so he invited me to become an associate artist at Yorkshire Dance, along with four other independent artists. And then through that scheme, I met Annabelle Dunbar, who worked at Danceworks UK in Sheffield. She was the director, who. It was a brilliant organisation that ran for 20 years and it was about programming, producing and presenting dance works, but also nurturing local talent. And I was from this mining village called Grimethorpe. So she just, I think she saw a Billy Elliot in the making, which I get a lot now, but she wanted to support me and wanted me to stay in the area you know, wanted me to grow within Yorkshire. And so I got this amazing support from her and the organisation where they mentored me and they put funding in for me to get mentors. You know, I was lucky enough to work with Nigel Charnock and Wendy Houston and Javier de Frutos, you know, these amazing artists. And she really embedded me into their programme. I was doing masterclasses and being sent off to London to watch performances. It was a really rich time for me and I learnt a lot. And then they gave me an artist development award to create my first evening, which I pulled together. And then I learnt about touring. And Annabelle's really passionate about touring. She was part of Dance Consortium, Dance Touring Partnership. She's from theatre, so she had a whole network of theatres that she worked with. And slowly we built a relationship over time. And then about six years ago, I said I was ready to create my first mid-scale full-length work to tour, which is right. when Cole was born. So we've had this brilliant relationship for over 10 years now. And it's there's something to be said about longevity and yes. about trust and mm. building these relationships and, and allowing it to flower and grow yeah. through time. And now we've got a very, very robust, positive working relationship I don't know what I'd do without her, really. I
0: was going to ask you about that because I thought that you'd been working with her for a long time. So, Gary, who else is in your team? Is there anyone else or is it just yourself and Annabelle?
2: Yeah, there is. There's a lot. We're a group of kind of freelancers, so what we do is with every project we bring together a team of people that we've worked with for many, many years and each person has a different area of expertise. So we've got Annabelle, we've got Katie Bo, who does a lot of the company management, Laura Barber, who does all of our engagement work that's either with communities with our brass bands or with our education work we then work with hands to Cretz associates in london who does all of the digital marketing and the websites we've got jane who does all of our finances then we've got the whole technical side of the team when we sure. go out on tour so we've got a production manager costume person lighting uh, technical manager and then there's the whole artistic team which is the dancers and then the collaborators and then if we've got a, a brass band on tour then we take out a musical director sure as well So it's quite a big operation when we go out and we create a show, but because we deal with lots of different elements in the show, it's needed, that team. It feels very big sometimes, but actually the roles are very, very specific and we try not to offload other people's job roles onto... A small team what we do is try and split so it just means that the elements are delivered to the highest of qualities in the specialist areas which seems to work for us it seems to be like the way forward of how we work it's
0: amazing and that's all freelance you said so you pull them in on a project base Um, I think that's really interesting having a big team but with specific jobs it's a really interesting model Mm. Tamsin how about you what does your team look like how
1: many have you got in the group now a company so we have five full-time dancers and one of which is my rehearsal director as well, Lewis. I've got our company and marketing manager, Lisa. And we did have a, an executive director, but we currently split that job into two roles. So when we go out on tour, we have our production manager and the dancers. We actually have a very small Team. So it's kind of the opposite to Gary, really Nimble. Yeah, a very small team on the road I go to some dates, not all dates But, you know, for me to have full-time dancers is a blessing And that was a major shift for us to go from having freelance Dance artists are having full time yes. Dance artists It kind of changes Your model Because you're In normal times You're able to react A lot quicker To you know New tour dates That you get up Or doing multiple works At once So we can yeah. sometimes Have five or six shows Going yes. at the same it's time It's
0: such a luxury Isn't it It's a real luxury I used to work at Protein And we were At that point We were trying to do the same For that very reason It was really difficult To accept tour dates When your company Is freelance, And then you have to find out If they're all available yeah. How yeah. are you dealing with that gary because you know protecting the freelance workforce is at the forefront of what the industry have been talking about of late and we all play Mm. a responsibility in that but then you are also probably freelance yourself so how do you deal with that in your
2: company i think only now have i realized that we need to change we need to switch because i think up until this point i don't think i understood the demand for my work and i think in the last kind of five years, we've had a lot of missed opportunities just because we've not had the resources, because we're, we, you know, we're out of a project. So we've had numerous phone calls and emails asking for a production and we've had to turn around and say, actually, no, because we're not in the project at the minute. And if you want the show, it's going to cost this amount, which is obviously a ridiculous amount of money just for one theatre to, to programme the show. Mm-hmm. So having spoke with Annabelle and learning, actually, that we can operate on a much more full-time basis and that there is opportunities out there for the company then yeah we're looking to change that because it's it's difficult you know and as one project finishes there's always a gap while the yeah. next one starts so we've you know ev- everyone's yeah. got to earn a living and put food on the table but at the same time we, we're in a really good swing of things so again Annabelle's wonderful she manages to kind of bookend mm. our project so they neatly lead on but there's always that danger of not being yes, successful with funding so you can never rely on that and it's We're getting a lot older now and, you know, things are just, they're a bit more fragile. So we're looking at structures now, you know, NPO being one where we can just have a little bit more security, have more full-time dancers like Tamsin, which I think must be a Mm. dream to just, I bet you can sleep at night, you know, just knowing that that you've got that.
1: I mean, it's amazing having full-time dancers. For me, like, being based in Hereford, I don't have access to hundreds of dancers. There's not a big Mm. dancer community here. So... It's the only way really to get dancers to Hereford. It's a lovely place to be, the countryside is beautiful, but there's not a massive artistic community here. So Mm. in order to be able to get dancers to want to be here, not just for the work, but to be able to live here, you have to be able to offer them something more. So that full-time contract and gym membership and this sort of to really invest in those people is key
2: really so does the company all live in herefordshire then they I'm do saying?
1: they all live in hereford and now actually some of them have started to buy houses here because wow. they're invested in here so it's it's about actually that then develops the community here so then you can get more and more people to come and, and it's great it's fantastic
2: that's amazing because i know yeah. a lot of people are resistant out there to change or to moving to places so that's amazing that...
1: yeah i think full-time contracts they're not for every dance artist But I think there's some people that want that security Mm. and they want that longevity to sort of build through their career. And, you know, we offer sort of training and some of them have done masters. We supported Jason Boyle, previous dancer, to do his masters so that when he retired, which he did last year at 32 or something like that, he was Mm. able to move on to work at Birmingham Royal Ballet in the uh, physio team there because he'd already done his Mm. masters with us. So it's a kind of, circular feeling that we like to try and have at the organisation and I'm
0: really interested again it's we are so at the mercy of the funding model aren't we we all know that that's an issue and the arts council know that's an issue they're kind of powerless they're doing their best but Mm. it's really interesting what you're saying about how that supports the economy of where you are so bringing your dancers paying them giving them security they buy houses they Mm -hmm. build lives they set up shops you know where you are and and revive and regenerate areas of the country with culture with arts which is what we're all trying to do and it addresses that Mm -hmm. thing that you were saying Gary of touring around with your production but always leaving and there's that sense of you actually putting your Mm. roots down and building a home I find that fascinating so I've got another big question for you and this Mm. is you've built your team around you now how do you as an artist maintain the clarity of your vision so how do you download what's in your head communicate that with your team and get everybody facing in the right direction
2: Mm. Gary Well, I think to begin with, I need to start by saying that I've assembled the team over a number of years and it's always been with people that I've worked with on other projects. So my costume designer, for example, Ryan, I met him whilst on a commission in Brighton for Brighton Fringe. Annabelle, you know, I met at DanceWorks UK. My musical director was my tutor at college. (laughs) I brought back on board. My lighting guy, I worked with as part of a Yorkshire Dance Fringe event about 15 years ago it's people that I've worked with and I've built relationships with over time and that understand my work and that understand my vision and understand how I work in the studio. When I then went onto mid-scale and started to make call and assemble the team, that's what I did. I brought everyone together. So somehow there's a relationship with me, them and the work that's already began. I don't think there's anyone in the team that's brand new. I've got a history with everyone at some point in the last 15, 20 years, which feels really good. That feels like a really strong thing. How I work is I generally come up with the concept and the idea and I present that to the team. I never give full artistic control to any of the collaborators. I always try and hold on to that vision. So I work alongside them and they always feed back and send stuff and and then I feed back to them on what needs to happen and then their feedback so it's a it's a conversation and it's a dialogue but at the end of the day I have the final say of the overall aesthetic and the vision and the clarity of the work because it's it's my work and that goes right through into like the images that we use through to the copy um, how we design the posters to the font to the language and words to the workshops to education packs the reason why this happens mm-hmm. is so it all aligns and it becomes one vision and it becomes one product and that we're not lost in any translation there or there's any areas mm-hmm. that don't quite match. So I try to drive it whilst giving everyone these responsibilities and then it all kind of comes back to me. Then I've almost got to kind of sign it all off with the support from the team and Annabelle. You know, it's not yeah, like yeah. I'm just there dictating. And I think that's really important Again artistic clarity and to just make sure that the branding works and the product works and the business side of it works as well. So when we go on tour we always talk about things being outward facing so what is the look of it and how does it all match up? How does the print match up with the logos, with the images then does that translate through to the show
0: that's incredible right at the beginning of this podcast you were saying business has come after and then you've thrown that out that sounds like a businessman that's where I want Greenwich Dance to be I don't think we're there quite yet so my hat goes off to you Tamsin how about you
1: I think it's similar. There's slight differences, obviously. We have a board of trustees and it's Two-Face Dance Company. And so it's not the and Fitzgerald Dance Company, which I think is very different because, yes, I am the artistic director, but we also do other works by other choreographers. It's not just about my vision. So the same way that Gary I have a concept that I put forward to the team, and that's a team of sort of employees, but also the freelancers that we get on, designers and things like that but I I definitely work very collaboratively I've softened over the years in that respect I think I've learned to not let go but I've learned to listen more I think to other people Um, and to take on different ideas and different advice as I'm sort of going through the process however the buck does stop with me so at the end of the day it's my name that goes out there um, with the company's name. Um, But I think I definitely work collaboratively with everybody. I think my vision, I have to make my vision very clear and very transparent to everybody that I'm working with so that everybody from the dancers to the trustees understand what that is and can advocate on behalf of the organisation in that way. So for me, it's about taking my team with me on that process and on that journey. So similar to Gary, but perhaps... Well, maybe other people might disagree, but I'd say maybe not quite as uh, I don't sign everything off. Um, so I, I sort of I think you have to trust in your team members. For me, I've had to trust that they know what they're doing. I've employed them for that reason, for that particular skill. So I need to trust them and trusting them is about allowing them to have well, to feel like they own it as much as I own it. So yeah, that's kind of how I work.
0: And I'm imagining through COVID you've all gone remote. Have you struggled with that <laughs> Gary has just covered his face with his hands, pulled his eyelid stuff? Have you struggled with that collaboration and communication? I certainly know it's something that we've found hard because it's so easy to drop into silos. You talk to one or two people about something but there's three or four people that didn't hear the conversation and Mm. How's that been
2: for you? Well, we were halfway through a tour when COVID happened. We had like eight venues to go. When I say halfway through, I literally mean like on trains on the way to Scotland. And we had to just about turn. And one by one, then the theatres start to close down. Straight away, there was such a sense of panic. And me and Annabelle and the team just had to cobble together what we thought was the next six months. And that felt really difficult and we're such a live company as I'm sure that every dance company is, you know, we we love human interaction, being in a room with people, and I think suddenly then to switch to this digital world, it's had a big effect on all of us, I think, just in terms of our mood and how we are approaching the work, and sometimes it just doesn't feel real anymore because it's all done digitally. Like, I forgot what it Mm -hmm. feels like to be in a studio and to have an audience and to be with a community. So that's been really tricky, but I must say that the team have been amazing and really resilient and have managed to stay calm And professional with everything and build new strategies and new ways around things without getting too good at the digital work we still want to hold on to our live output and not do you see what i mean like we we have to be really careful that we don't become specialists in dance for digital platforms and then that defines us or suddenly people go oh well you're really good and skilled at that area so therefore you must stay there because actually when you talk about digital depending on what you do it's cheaper and the output and the reach is a lot bigger Touring is expensive, Mm. but we are a touring company and we want to keep live work at the heart of what we do. So we've had various conversations around how we maintain that. It's a
0: hard time, isn't it? It's a really hard time. And everyone's navigating their way Mm. the best they know how. Tamsin, how about you? Have you been able to stay collaborating, thinking, planning with your team remotely? And what have your
1: dancers been doing on their full-time contracts? Uh, well, I don't really want to know, actually. They've probably been sat <laughs> on, on Fortnite for Fortnite, eight months.
2: Fortnite,
1: yeah. um, I... <laughs> I think what's been really interesting is that, like Gary, actually, we would literally just done our London premiere for our 20th anniversary celebrations. And it was in the London show at the place where COVID had already sort of happened in London. So we came down, we were like it's really weird here there's like no one out and about feels really strange we were like what's going on um because everything happens in hereford 10 years later you know so we didn't have very big audience because although it was sold out only probably 50 people turned up for that show so then when we came back it was that week that everything got locked down basically The dancers, all the full-time staff, including myself, we were on furlough for pretty much eight months. But bizarrely, what happened is I set up a little WhatsApp support group with about 10 artist friends from Herefordshire. And that's actually turned into being a sort of 250-plus membership organisation called the Ford Collective, which is made up of freelance artists and employed artists from across Herefordshire. I mean, it's been so needed, and we've been supporting each other, funding opportunities, little wellbeing sessions, check-in sessions with each other to see how we've been getting on and now we're starting to think about putting in some funding bids together for bigger projects so Out of what has been a really, really tough time, I have to say it's been very, very difficult. You know, there was a point where I thought we're not going to make it. And I was like, we've just had our 20th anniversary. We can't not make it now. This is like the worst time to not make it." it. You know, a positive has come out of it. And I think it's connected people in Hereford that worked in silos. We actually all worked in silos. So it's actually brought us together. And we've kind of started to build this really strong artistic community. And actually, it's not about freelancers or employed. We're all artists. Mm. whether you're an MPO, whether you're project funded, you're Mm. artists. We just happen to work in slightly different ways. That's how I see it. It's been hard because it feels like Mm. it's freelancers versus employed. it's been a lot of that. And I found that very difficult because I feel like our industry has been pulling apart from the Mm. insides through Mm. this time. You know, and if you're an MPO, that's a stamp. There's an expectation that you are going to do more than anybody else. However, that's really tough when you're an mm. MPO that gets less money <laughs> than those mm. freelance artists with their own companies. But it's, mm. it's like a badge mm. that you get. It has to be said it's yeah. been really tough. Mm. But you find a way through, don't you? You do find a way through.
2: Tamsin, can I ask, when you go on furlough, so for those eight months, were you not allowed to have any contact with Too Faced at all? Is that still the same as all the other industries? Well, we could board? do
1: trainings and I uh, had check-ins with everybody mm. just to say mm. hello, cups of tea. Cups of tea tea and yeah. chat but we weren't allowed to work
2: yeah that must have been hard
1: really difficult and then it was that thing of me thinking oh gosh the dancers really need to stay in mm. shape because at that point it was like things are going to open up again in mm. June or <laughs>
2: whatever oh of course uh, yeah and then
1: things are going to open up again in September and then so it was this constant kind of like maybe the next bit of the tour can happen and rescheduling of dates and then very quickly I realised that we couldn't mm. just shut down completely as an organisation so basically I I came off furlough and started doing bits and pieces. But by that point, our executive director, who was leaving anyway, unrelated to COVID, had left. So I actually then had to take back on that role, which is quite interesting because it made me think about I sort of said oh it feels like I'm starting from scratch again where I'm taking on all of those job roles because there was no one else working so it was literally back down to me and the board were very good they've been very supportive throughout this process but not working is just really alien to me really alien it's very hard isn't it particularly when we've had to be in constant planning
0: mode to then as Gary said be forced into not being able to work so both of you have talked quite a lot about the wider relationships you have with your team members but what about the next step beyond? to that and I think that's been really crucial in this time the funders the venues the other networks Tamsin you've just talked about that amazing holistic network that you found with an artistic community mm-hmm. but what kind of support and what kind of relationships do you feel that you have with some of those organizations and venues that would usually have your work and how did you sort of beyond COVID how did you or not beyond before, before. How, yes exactly will there are (laughs) Uh, But how did you go about building up that network from that very small company that we talked about you being at first and then being this Mm -hmm. growing enterprise that you both are in your own ways?
2: I think for me, it started off when I was, again, as a dancer, dancing for many different companies. I got the opportunity to meet a lot of people whilst I was out there touring and teaching and delivering workshops. And gradually, I just got to understand the dance sector and the people within it a kind of who's who really especially with the national dance agencies who were really big around that time and the directors of those and then when I started to make my own work I'd already had that relationship I'd had that meeting with them so it was a slow build for me and I think that's something I always say to people that are graduating is that longevity is a good thing like Give yourself time to grow. I think there's such a need now for people to just come straight out of college, make a company, be successful, become an MPO, get lots of money. There's this kind of panic, whereas I think if you just allow yourself to just build those relationships through time and allow it to organically grow and build and start off small, then it feels like there's much more leverage in that somehow and you're able to refine that relationship and why that works. So I've really enjoyed building those over time. Again, started off small and building now to the to much bigger productions. That's me personally, but then, of course, with Annabelle, she already had a whole network of people that she knew and trusted. And so I met a lot of people through Annabelle, and she's always really keen that I go along and meet these people and that it's face-to-face, that we don't do things via email or phone calls, that we get on a train as an artistic director and a producer and we go and meet them and we have a coffee with them, we buy them lunch, we talk to them, we talk about our visions, our mission statements, what we're planning on doing with the work, our audiences, our communities. We really try to get them excited about what we're doing and kind of get them on board to be passionate about it and make sure that it aligns with what they're doing as as a theatre or as an organisation. I think for us it's very key that we have a collaboration that it's not just about us turning up to a a theatre or a place doing a job and then leaving that actually the theatre has got to really get behind what we do and champion it and that it aligns with what their visions and values are. Yep. and that's felt like a positive journey for us and we've been able to maintain those relationships over the last 10 years and it feels great when you do that it feels really lovely yeah. when you're able to continue those relationships I mean, yeah. some more than others I guess, you know, sometimes it doesn't quite work but that's just because, I don't know, it's, it doesn't work There's not nothing bad's happened it's just yeah. uh, just the nature of the beast, it's I think quite a line
0: that personal touch and taking the time to make that happen I think is a really good lesson because it is so tempting to just fire off an email or two isn't it and sometimes we're very reluctant to pick up the phone or like you say go and meet and of course that's been hard to do at the moment but there is that sense of that being where a relationship starts and then whilst we're trying to move away from the business being who you know it's always there a bit isn't it we force ourselves to look wider than our networks but our network are our resilience so we have to draw upon those about you Tamsin would you say the same do you have similar tools in your armory
1: the regional dance agency for me was kind of really key in the early days in Birmingham I think you know, as I said, there is an artistic community here, but it's very small scale. So Birmingham, I used to go to quite a lot. I hang out at Dance Exchange and they were very supportive of my work. Well, actually for a long time, not even in the early days, for a very long time. And I think it is about talking to people. You know, that the term networking sort of sends fear into lots of people, including myself, <laughs> for a really long time. And it's something that you do get better at. You do start to enjoy more. But it, it's difficult, you know, that, that sort of... I, I've struggled because I could never get... Back home so if I was going to Birmingham there wasn't a train to get back home so I couldn't stay to the after mm. drinks so yeah you have to find a sort of different way around it and I think Gary's totally right about talking to venues going to see them making sure that they feel included and part of the conversation and part of the the work and asking for things actually I think sometimes yeah. you can be a bit shy well I know that I was a bit shy and I'd be like well, I'm not going to ask them for that because there's no way they're going to give that to me. And then I suddenly thought one day I'm just going to ask them. And I, and I asked and they were like, yeah, sure, of course you can have the space for like a month. That's fine. I'd be like, oh, wow. Why didn't I do this earlier? So I, I would say ask, ask, ask. Yeah, We spoke
0: to Katie Green in one of our episodes and she said something that stayed with me, which is she's very rarely had the word no said to her. It's just about, I'm going to ask this. And she said, no, you know, hardly anyone has ever said no. Um, and yeah. did, uh, the context she was talking about was putting her work into museums, into those new spaces. So I know we're running out of time. There's one or two more questions that I'd like to ask you. And one we've been touching on, which is to MPO or not to MPO. I know you're both in, um, <laughs> in slightly different positions there as Gary said he's preparing himself to go onto the portfolio and Tamsin am I right in thinking that you came into the portfolio in the last round
1: no we've been an MPO since 2012 right okay that's a bit longer than I thought yeah yeah
0: what did you have to do or change was there anything you had to do or change in order to be ready for that responsibility
1: Um, I don't think you really realise what that responsibility is until you get it. And I'd say to everyone to really think about it before you make that decision, because it it does change everything. It changes how people perceive you as an organisation. As I said earlier, you've suddenly got that stamp. And in fact, when I first became an MPO, someone said to me, oh, welcome to the club. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, so I I think there is a sort of sense that once you've become an MPO, it's not like there's different scales of MPO. I mean, there are, but in a lot of people's heads, if you're an MPO, you're an MPO. So I am two-faced dancer perceived the same way that, you know, national theatre. We're we're the same. We're just an MPO. So what people expect from them, they expect from us, which that's quite hard Mm. because we're on totally different levels. I think the regularity, the security of having that money is kind of amazing. (laughs) That really does help. I think having a board of trustees, that's something that a lot of artists find quite tricky. I am employed by a board. It's not my company. Mm. Yes, I founded it, but it's not my organisation anymore. You have to hand that over and be prepared to hand that over. And that can be tough doing that. All the paperwork involved with being an MPO all the surveys and the extra bits and pieces that you have to do. But you know, they're all things that you have to do, but you have a sense of security. So, you know, mm. to have that regular income is amazing. But would I become an MPO if I was starting back where we were in 2011? Would I apply now? I'm not 100% sure that I would. Gosh, that's interesting. Maybe if we were an MPO on a different scale, mm. perhaps. But when you're at the very sort of low end of the MPO scale, mm. it is tough because, in effect, we probably. Overall, receive less money than Gary does from the Arts Council, but with an MPO, you have a whole sense of responsibility that people place on yeah. your lap. That they're like, "Well, well, you've got MPO, so you should do this." And it's yeah. like, "Well, actually, I don't have that money to do that. Just yeah. because I'm an MPO doesn't mean I can do all of these extra things." Yeah. So it's tough, you know.
0: It's tough. And Gary, what are you doing to equip yourself for this next shift in the company's growth?
2: Well, I want to go back to what Tamsin said, which is brilliant advice i think to people listening is consider whether this is the right step because it is a big step and we're not doing this lightly it's something we've spoke about for years and something that we've been advised from the arts council to consider because I think we fit quite neatly into an NPO structure. As well, I think the work that we are delivering is on a scale now. But yeah, there's a lot of very, very detailed, thorough planning. Part of me is really excited, but part of me is terrified because I know that it's a massive gear change and I'm prepared for all of the changes that Tamsin's already spoke about, you know assembling a board and handing over that responsibility to a board the company it's no longer mine so all of the stuff that i was saying before which mm. i do I'm, I'm aware that i'm going to have to hand that over and i know that's going to kind of require a, a lot of change for me in my head to get around about how, actually what is this entity now what is this being mm. what is this company and yet the level of work and reporting that needs to be done annabelle is working tirelessly to make sure that every corner is spoke about and discussed and that we're ready for it if we apply and also artistically as well to make sure that we can sustain an artistic program that is robust and clear and strong and has impact over that amount of of time with the resources that are available to us i'm lucky because i know a lot of people that are running npos that they're good friends of mine so i'm having lots of conversations with them about Just on a personal level, you know, about how to deal with it and how to get through day-to-day life as an MPO and things that might come up and um, things to look out for and the, the positives and negatives. So we're doing a lot of groundwork. We're working with a business consultant. Yeah, we're trying to cover all areas. So then yeah. if we do, obviously there's a whole application process to go through as well. This yeah. is not guaranteed. So, yeah. But again, we're making sure that we've done the research. So when we do apply, yeah. it's a strong application. So excited, nervous, who knows? Well, we've got to wait and see. But
0: I think also the fact that you're planning that now is something for people to learn from. You know, when we want to make those next big steps We have to put the time in, don't we? And that goes into quite a lot of what you've been saying through this podcast, actually, that small step by step build it up make sure you know what you're doing and then get there so wishing you lots of luck with it
2: i think the amount of detail that goes into npo is immense yeah. so this amount of planning i mean it doesn't feel like a long time really i mean we're talking a year but that, already that feels quite short does, in terms of what we need to do yes yeah. does.
0: it does um and so my last question to you we've all been forced to evaluate in all areas of our lives in this last year And I wondered, what within your current structure do you think that you could simply not do without?
2: I can answer that. I couldn't do without a really experienced producer like Annabelle because she is the driving force behind what we do. And I don't think I'm very skilled on the other side. You know, we talk about business. I am learning on the job as I go along, but a lot of that, what someone might call behind the scenes stuff, you know, the, the actual machine behind it all. Without that, I don't think I could continue. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know where to start. All of the artistic stuff is kind of fine and dealt with, but you know, the producing side of it and the, the building of all of the business and the strategies is so important for me. It's super important. So yeah, I simply could not do without an Annabelle yeah, Or Annabelle. a Annabelle
1: <laughs> Samson I don't think I could do without a Lisa Lisa's my company and marketing manager And she is the person that enables me to be able to do what I do She's so supportive she knows if I'm having a bad day she will have those difficult conversations with artists that maybe if I had them it would just end up being not a great conversation so she has them and that means that then I can just maintain an artistic relationship with that person and so she's sort of been on the journey with me in the last five years I don't think I could do without Elisa in my life
0: I love the fact that the two things you both need are people because people is yeah, well, so <laughs> it's it's true. Whole, it's about people and it is isn't it yeah so that i think is a fantastic place to stop thank you so much Tamsin and gary for being with us today and to you for listening if you'd like to hear more episodes about subjects moving artists of today search for talking moves wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe leave a review and spread the word And for more information about Tamsin and Gary, head on over to GreenwichDance.org.uk. And do remember that if you know someone you think we should talk to or have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please tweet us at Greenwich Dance. But for today, that's it from us. And join us next time for more Talking news thank you so much (laughs) it's been (laughs) lovely talking to you today oh
2: this is good to talk isn't it
0: (laughs) so much. these conversations get my brain churning because i come from every one of them thinking right i'm going to do something different here i'm going to do something different there um so it's wonderful really inspiring thank you